A man should look for what is, and not for what he thinks should be. Albert Einstein Welcome to the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. I'm out early in the morning. It's barely light. I'm in the woods, walking the trails. And this is where you join me, and where I join you. Um, I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you are finding greater peace. Um, We are in the middle, towards the end, really, of a seven-part series called The Practice of Stillness. Um, Today we are talking about resistance, and that's why I chose that Einstein quote. Um, I think a lot of what we wrestle with in life personally, just day-to-day struggles, disappointments, frustrations, has to do with how we approach reality. As Einstein said, trying to see reality for what it is, not what we think it should be. I think so much of our peace, uh, so much of our lack of peace, so much of what robs us of peace is how we approach reality. Today, in the sixth part of the seven-part series on the practice of stillness, we're talking about resistance. And simply put, um, I think our peace is very acutely connected to how much we resist or surrender to reality. I don't know if that makes any sense to you at all. I don't know if you've even thought about this. Uh, It's taken me a long, long time to come around to seeing things this way, to understanding that my resistance to reality has everything to do with my experience of reality. But at the same time, it seems that we are hardwired with an imagination, with an with a desire, with a will to try and exert our way in the world. It just seems natural to us. It's like we're we're taught this even from a very young age. You can be what you want. You can do what you want. Go and do anything. Go and make the world what you want it to be. Go make your life what you want it to be. There's just all this messaging. And I don't know if that's just Western culture or how much it's just Western culture or human culture, you know, but um, we have, of course, in America and Western culture, overemphasized the individual and individual pursuit, individual desire, individual um, rights. And so I, we just, in many ways, we come to the world from a self-referential perspective. I talked a lot about this in The Autonomous Self, about the idea that how we see reality has everything to do with the lens through which we view it, through our perspective, through how we choose to look at the world. But the, the biggest, I think, 
the biggest lens is our will. Just this idea that we should and we can attempt to make the world what we want it to be instead of trying to meet the world where it is. The goal in the practice of stillness is attempting to simply meet the world where it is, to accept the world as it is, to surrender to the world as it is. And resistance is about our inability and our struggle to do that. Um, if you don't know, my podcasts follow the same themes as my blogs, so you can read or listen, or both. But in my blog on this particular theme, I started with the concept of electricity and ohms. If you didn't know, ohms is a measurement of resistance when it comes to electricity. And if you also didn't know that resistance when it comes to electricity is all about control. Resistance gives us the ability to control electricity, to use it to harness it, to focus it in a specific direction, to narrow it to a specific measure. Resistance allows us to change and to uh, measure or reduce or amplify electricity. Actually, resistance allows us to reduce electricity, I believe. See, I'm not an electrical engineer, but basically, um, when electricity comes to your house, for example, it's, it can be over 700,000 volts on the line. And so what, what happens is then that main line, which is, it, it's such a large voltage because it allows the electricity to have enough energy and force to move over long distances, right? So, you know, it travels a long way from the power plant to your house. It's got a lot of road to travel on those lines. So they, they out of the uh, power plant, it comes very powerfully, so it can move all that way. But the problem is, if it was 7,000 or 700,000 volts coming to your house, it'd blow your house up. It's, it'd be too powerful. So at each house, there is what's called a transformer. It, it, transformers can either step up or step down electricity. But uh, the particular transformer on the line um, connected to your house is a step-down transformer. So it takes that 700,000 volts, you know, or whatever it is, it's, you know, it can vary a lot. Uh, it takes that and it reduces it down to 110 volts. Usually two lines of 110 come into your house. Most people have about 200 amp service. Um, about, you know, and it, it all consists of about 110, well, uh, yes, it is 110 volts of electricity. So in your house, most things operate with 110 volts, but it's, a, it's resistance in those step-down transformers that allow for that great reduction, which makes electricity usable. It keeps it consistent. It makes it controlled. It keeps it within a very specific range because all of your appliances are, either, are based on either 110 volts or 220 volts, which just combines two 110 lines. 
um, your larger appliances can use more power. But it's important. Ohms are important. Resistance is important in terms of electricity. But also what it does is it reduces it down. It makes it manageable. It brings it to a manageable and safe and controllable amount. I, I think the same is very true of God. And it's, this has been true of my experience. Uh, this is what I call the data of the world. I talked about this a lot in the Three Centers of Being and Knowing, which seems like that's been forever ago. But basically, the energy of God, and I think just the energy, the spiritual energy in the world, is very powerful. There's, there is energy of God, and there is other energy, and I'll talk about that too. But basically, it's very powerful. It's like that, that 700,000 volts on the line coming from the power plant. Like, the original source is huge. And so, basically, we learn to reduce it down to manageable and controllable amounts. Because um, it'd be too overwhelming. So... If you don't know, if you've not listened to any of my previous podcasts, um, what I call spiritual energy is not just the energy of God in the universe, but it is also the energy that we put out into the universe. So basically, I think there are, there are what I would call three sources of this energy. God, who is the original source. Us, because we have a spirit too, and so we put out energy into the world. And then what... what some could would call uh, angels, angels or demons. And so the nature of this energy is twofold. There is negative and positive energy. The negative energy is the energy of resistance. It is the energy of exerting my will and my way in the world and, in essence, resisting the will of God. I know that sounds churchy and very Christian-y, and I'm not trying to go down that path and talk and end this conversation, but I'm just trying to explain um, how the spiritual energy works and how resistance affects this energy. And so, um, we can look at it like this. Basically, the world was created to be a certain way and the world works a certain way. And the energy behind the world is the will of God, which just means the intent, the desire. The intent of God, uh, which I believe is the source of all life and sustains all life, is clear. It is the intent of love. It is an embracing energy. It is an affirming energy. It is a accepting energy, an inclusive energy. God embraces all things, but God also established the world to work a certain way. And so the energy of God in the world does move and breathe and act a certain way. And then we, being made in a similar fashion, also have the ability to choose our own way. We have an energy to ourselves. So we can move with the energy of God, or we can resist it. And our natural inclination on our own is to choose resistance, in some ways, in a practical sense, simply because um, we must protect ourselves against this, the, the greatness of this energy. 
and not just God, but all the negative energy in the, in the world. So I would also describe it like this. God, as the energy of love, is not a controlling energy. It's not a pushing energy. It is a giving energy. It is an embracing energy. And the opposite of that is what happens when we begin to exert our will in the world, begin to push for our way. And so I think a lot of times we imagine God to be much like we are, a pushing energy, controlling, you know, controlling things for his or her own benefit. And so often we can find ourselves in resistance because we want to control things for our own benefit. So we imagine that, that this energy works this, only this way, the energy uh, of will, what I could call will. It is a pushing energy always, it's, and it's really, it is how we mostly think of it. You are in the world, I am in the world, seven billion people are in the world, and we are all trying to get what we want, We're trying to meet our own needs. You know, it's survival is part of that, like, and that's natural. We're trying to meet our needs, the needs of our family, the, sometimes the needs of our community, our peer groups, our social groups, our religious groups, political groups. It's like everybody's pushing and pushing for their way. Sometimes we get together, and as a group we push for some things. We have beliefs and values, we have preferences and desires, we have a will. We almost always see will and our power and our energy as a pushing energy. I'm going to push my way through the world. I'm going to push for what I want. I'm going to push back against things that are not in line with how I think or how I believe. But God is not a pushing energy. And I think that's why we miss God in the world. We are not very attuned and aware of God because God is a giving energy. So energy is also about flow, right? Ohms, when it comes to electricity, ohms reduces the flow of energy. It manages and it measures the control of energy as well. Um, so that is a reductionist effort in this energy um, and electricity and it's true in spiritual energy too so we are very small we're like a house on that line and so we can only handle a little bit of energy of this energy on our own and I think we've all experienced in some ways the overwhelming nature of this energy at times um, Anger, fear, anxiety, um, these are all uh, the largeness of this energy. And we can feel it, you know, and, and sometimes in ways that can be very overwhelming, can overwhelm us. And so I, I think a lot of times, most of the time, we feel very in control. Um, we feel like things are going our way. We're kind of content. Everything feels okay with us. But there are times when we experience a larger measure of this energy and it is uncontrollable. And we feel the uncontrollable nature of it and it's scary. The reality is it's always that way. We, in our attempt 
to manage it on our own, simply numb ourselves to it. And that's all that resistance really does in terms of the greatness and the largeness of this energy. Resistance allows us to numb ourselves to it, to gain a measure of control, but it's a, it's a control that comes through. I just walked by a pavilion and there was a fan making this tapping noise and I couldn't tell what it was at first. But um, um, resistance gives us a measure of control, but it is through numbing. It is through a separation and a reduction of this energy. It's, it's really not a reduction of the energy either. It's just a reduction of how we experience it. So the reality is that we live and we swim in these waters of, of the awesomeness and the largeness of this energy. We experience it in small ways. And so we actually begin to believe that it is small. It is, it, it is controllable by us. We are able to control this energy the spiritual energy that is all around us. We ground ourselves in this way, but there are times when reality breaks through and overturns that false paradigm, and we feel this energy very powerfully, and it overwhelms us. And then we can kind of gather ourselves, get through the moment, whatever it may be, sometimes, and go back to our little illusion of control. That we are actually in control and we can push our way through the world and we can get what we want. Because we can resist, we can fight, we can contend for our way and our will. But the truth is that God's will and God's way is always moving forward. We can move with it or we can resist it. And that is the only truth of reality. But it's not always true to our experience because we don't always see it. We don't always understand that truth. We go through the world, for the most part, thinking that we're pretty much in control. In control of our destiny, in control of our lives. You know, we literally, everything appears to us to be under our control. We drive a car down the road to our job. <clears throat> And we steer that car. And yet, all around us, everything is moving independent of us. So we have to admit first that we only always have a measure of control. Never full control. We tend to think we have control over our lives, and we're kind of navigating our lives through this milieu and this you know, larger world where everybody else is doing the same thing and we're all kind of trying to find our path and we're moving around people sometimes and through people and as they're moving and sometimes we, like, like bumper cars, sometimes we bump into people and our momentum gets diverted or stopped but we kind of, you know, pick back up, whatever, you know. Maybe that comes out in the form of an argument or... Um, a fight, you know, a thwarted goal, but we kind of figure it out and keep moving, right? <clears throat> some things work out, some things don't, but basically we're still moving through the world, attempting to create our own vision, our own outcome. That is the natural way. 
of the world as we see it. But it is not the reality of the world. It is not true to our experience. It's true to our perception sometimes, but it is not true to our experience. Uh, I've been listening... I don't know, I just, I've just i been picking this up. There's this message in our culture about power. Um, being a powerful person. And I've been hearing a lot of uh, this in terms of women's rights and minority rights. And, and uh, I'm not speaking to the larger picture of that, but just this idea that you have power. I'm a powerful woman. I'm a powerful black voice. And I'm such a powerful person. And I hear that and I think, you're a powerful person? Who is a powerful person? And I think, uh, look at nature. Look at the world. Do you think you're a powerful person? Tell that wasp not to sting you. Tell that river to stop flowing. Tell the sun when to rise. Tell the wind to stop blowing. Tell the grass to stop growing. Tell your body to stop aging. Make your heart stop. Make your heart start. <laughs> Make your hair grow. Turn your hair a different color. What are you in control of? How are you a powerful person? The message of God and the, the beauty that God invites us into is not power, but powerlessness. It is actually, I take that back, it is actually a different kind of power that comes through powerless, powerlessness. It is our powerlessness and accepting the true reality of our powerlessness that invites us into the power of God and into, to, to live within the power of God, which is reality. God is the one. God is the ultimate power in the universe, moving all things, directing all things. But here's the thing. God is moving all things not for his and her benefit, but for our benefit. That is how this energy is opposite, our energy and God's. We're trying to move things for our benefit. It is self-referential and self-centered. God is moving things for our benefit. That is a selfless energy. It is a giving energy. Do you see the difference? Our energy is taking and pushing. It is self-centered. God's energy is giving and flowing and embracing it is a selfless energy. That's the difference between these energies, between negative and positive energy. Selfishness or selflessness. We are grounded in an energy of selfishness, in how we think we are meant to move through the world. We are taking, we are getting, we are acquiring for ourselves. We have to get it for ourselves. We have to take it, and we have to often contend for it with others. God is not that way. God is not contending with us. But often, the uh, broken story of religion and the resistance we have to God is this idea that God is actually trying to do everything and bend everything to His will for His or her good, not for our good. So even when it comes to God, our ideas of God, we can be contentious. We can view this as contention, as fighting. And I think a lot of times, you know, how I grew up in Christianity, it was also this way. This is what prayer was about. Trying to get God to do my will. To get God to do something I want. To get God to favor me above somebody else. 
that was the game that even in prayer even in our concept of prayer we're trying to move god for our benefit my my concept and my view of prayer has changed so much first how could i ever get god to do anything truly could i ever bend god's arm i'm not saying that i couldn't ask for something i'm saying could i ever truly bend god's arm to do what i want let me put it this way why would god ever do what i want not because i want it but because god wants to do it that's the essence of love that's the essence of this positive energy I mean, how much the world <laughs> just moves as it moves. All around us, things are just what they are. Moving, doing, living, breathing. Completely independent from whatever we think, whatever we want. What we want hardly factors, even in our own lives. We don't make much of anything happen in this world. We can't even control our own bodies, hardly. Yes, we can decide where to go in a limited sense. We cannot, but our body, how it moves and breathes and what it does, most of it is actually out of our control. Most of our systems are operating independent of our conscious thought and our conscious will. There's very little that actually does what we want at all. What I'm saying is the lens of autonomy of control is a false lens, it's a false reality. And yet it's how we mostly live. What I'm also trying to say is that that idea is a negative energy. This attempt to control things for my benefit is a negative energy. It's trying to draw things, all things to me instead of being a flow to all things for their benefit. Like, am I here? for my benefit, or am I here for the benefit of others? That's the difference between selfishness and selflessness. The difference between negative and positive energy. The difference between resistance and surrender. The goal when it comes to the practice of stillness is always surrender, to give up resistance, to stop resisting reality. And I know I know that sounds weird, I know that sounds strange, I know that sounds even impossible. Well, you know, how can we surrender and just let things happen? It sounds like fatalism often. It's not fatalism. fatalism it would be fatalism if there was no higher power. And we're just surrendering to fate and just kind of giving up on life. Like, like It is in us to thrive and to live. It's not in us to give up. That's like, that's basically suicide, you know? It's suicide or it's just um, fatalism. Things are what they are. It's like, it's like a Eeyore. It's an Eeyore mentality. Oh well, life is what it is. I just, I can't do anything about it. I'm just, I might as well just give up and just kind of accept it and just float down the river, over the dam. Whatever happens, happens. It's, that's fatalism. And that's actually nihilism as well. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about surrendering to nothing. I'm talking about surrendering to love, to the greatest presence of love in the universe. And I'm talking about the need to stop resisting what is. And I know the difficulty in that. 
no matter what you believe about God, no matter what religion you adhere to, like the difficulty in that is how do you view this larger consciousness we call God, this big energy of love in the universe? And the reality is that we all struggle to believe that there is a higher power who is completely good and has our good in mind. And there's lots of things we could point to as evidence to say, I don't know if this big energy, if it even exists, if there is even a God truly. I don't know if God is truly good. Look at the world. Look at the negativity in the world. But I'm telling you the message of God is that this negativity comes through resistance to reality. We are the source of this negative energy and the negative consequences of that energy. What, you know, let's, let's just spell it out. What are the negatives in the world? What is wrong with the world? What's the brokenness in the world? What are all the bad things we could say, even our potential proofs that God is not good? You know, what, what are the accusations? Let's, let's, uh, let's arraign a court and have a trial here. War, genocide, cancer, disease, um, genetic abnormalities, hate, abuse, oppression, human trafficking, child abuse. These are all, all the negatives we could point to and say, look at the world. How could God create such a world that is so full of negativity? Why? If God is truly good, why is all this negative in the world? And the answer, the answer that I have come to, maybe not you, is that the negative energy comes from our resistance to God's idea, to God's will for the world. Not, it's not a reality of the presence of God's will. It's a reality of how we have resisted God's will. Who is doing the human trafficking? Humans. Who is doing the, the abuse? Humans. Who? Who is trying to control all things for their own good, despite and against the good of other people? Humans. We are the negative energy in the world. It is us. It's us. <laughs> it's us. I'm telling you, the, the deep, the big, the biggest picture of that reality is that it is because we are resisting the one true good will in the world. God. I don't know if you believe that. But look at your own life. Look at your own actions. Look at your own heart. Is there negativity in your heart? And where does it come from? It comes from pushing against reality. Others. Events, circumstances, things you didn't want to happen a certain way but did. Your experience of negativity in the world, your personal experience, is always intrinsically linked to how much you resist or accept reality. How much you fight against it or move with it. And I know 
when we see reality as negative, as full of negatives, rather, maybe not all negative, but as full of negatives, then we feel like we must resist. We must somehow create boundaries of protection. I talked about that last in the last podcast, which is a good podcast. You should go back. <laughs> but basically, we think we have to gain control for ourselves, to protect ourselves. But the real reason is because other people are also exerting their will, trying to control things for their benefit. And so we have to do the same as a protective measure. But the truth is, if we all surrendered to the reality and the will of God, which is a will for the good of all, then the good of all would be paramount and would be real and true. And that would be the dominant ex experience of reality, the good of all. That is what contemplation calls unitive consciousness. Um, it's what it calls dualistic thinking. It is this idea that there is one good, that there is a way, there is a universal. It's what we call God. But there is a universal will for the world that incorporates the good of all and good for all, which truly is good for all. I don't... I don't think there's there's any better way to describe that as one will versus many wills. Competing wills versus one unifying will. And that's what unitive consciousness is. It is the idea that we simply need to become more in tune with this singularity of consciousness, which is God. Because that will bring us together, and it's the only thing that will bring us together. Like, other than that, you know, if we think in terms of the, of, of the human level even when it comes to goodness, right? We all, I think we could all say we would like the world to be a, a good place for us, right? We don't want a world that is in contention, that is in war, that is, has the potential to kidnap our child and murder our wife. We don't want that world. But what's our solution? Well, I am going to try, and try to make the world a better place for me, for everyone, right? I mean, we can think that and we can truly, really believe that. I want to make the world a better place. So what am I going to do to, how do I generate a better world? Well, I try to exert my will into the world. I want to end human trafficking. So I'm going to fight. I'm going to contend. It's a contentious stance. What we don't realize is then we're exerting our will. Even though we think it's good, it's still a singular will among 7 billion. At the human level, it just creates 7 billion competing wills. And it doesn't matter how hard we work to try and align values, no matter what. If we could get all 7 billion people in a room, <laughs> that's, that's a funny picture. If we could get all 7 billion people in a room to listen to one person and say, this is what we should do. Like, we're all going to have a meeting. We're all going to decide what's good for the world. And we're all going to try and attempt to agree on some basic values and enact them and live them out. What do you think would happen? <laughs> First, nobody could ever agree. We would not ever come to some kind of... We could, we could agree on a few things. Murder is bad. War is bad. Right? I don't think anybody believes murder and war are good. And yet, look at the world. It's full of murder and war. Apparently, the attempt at the human level to create consensus over what is good is not working. And it's failed miserably. Look at the experiment. We're in it. We're living in it. 
The true remedy is a single will, not many wills coming together by trying to hash out a complementary idea. But one will, all these many wills being surrendered to the one, to the one good will in the universe, which is God. We have to, either we have to accept defeat and admit that we could never really truly make the world better by exerting our will. It's just not big enough. It's not connected enough. Or we can surrender to the only will who truly is connected to all others and truly has good, our good in mind. And that's the difference. No matter how good we may think we are, we are still self-centered. We are centered on first what is good for me. And then what is good for my family. And then might be maybe what's good for my group. Whatever that group is. Religious, political. And then maybe I might be interested in what is good for my nation. My continent. You know, it's like, these are what we could call the levels of culture. From personal to global. But basically our good is always referenced by ourselves first. But I'm telling you, that's the negative energy. That's the taking energy. That's the self-centered energy. And from that, you will never get a global, collective goodness. But when you have an energy, one will, who is actually not about themselves, but about others, trying to bring and do what is good for others, that is the only will that could possibly bring us together and bring about a good for all. And that's what I call God. That's the energy of God. That energy is a giving energy. That energy says, how can I make your life good? How can I do what is good for you? How can I help bring healing? And how can I bring wholeness? And how can I bring thriving to you? And when we align ourselves with that will, we begin, we begin to mimic it. We begin to be transformed to be like that will, to be about others. The whole world of people about others, good, about the good of others, is a world that is good for others and good for everyone. How much we resist or surrender to that one will, I believe, has everything to do with how good or bad the world is. I don't know how you think of evil and good. But to me, evil is simply doing what is good for me, regardless of whether it is good for others. It is a small, it is a, it is a sense of good that is just too small. Evil is doing what is good in the smallest sense, without consideration for good in the biggest sense. So I think we all define evil in lots of different ways, but I think the true definition is simply doing good for a group that, it, that is too small. A good that is too small. Like doing good for one group, but doing harm to another in the process. The ultimate good is do, doing what is good for all. Never leaving a single person out. That's a, big, that's a big, big kind of good. I believe that is the only good. Now, I know that seems like an impossibility. And it is on the human level, but it is not on the level of God. So really, our ability to surrender... To stop resisting this big will is the only way it's going to happen. Whether or not we choose to surrender, to give up, to lay down, and start 
listening and leaning into a will other than our own. There's no way. There's no way we're going to get there any other way. Whatever you believe about God, whether you even believe in God, I don't. I think it's very naive. I think it's. I think that it is foolish to believe we could bring about a good through our own will. And I believe the history of humanity is proof enough. There have been many good people, many benevolent people, many kind people in the world. Many powerful people who are kind. We could point to some in our world today, but nobody has ever been powerful enough or kind enough to bring about a good for all. To never leave a single person out. To have a view of the world and of the good of the world that is truly good enough, big enough. Except God. This is the hope of religion. This is the good message of religion, despite its negatives. And I would say it's true in religion, too. The degree to which religion can work for the good of the whole or the degree to which religion falls into just doing what is good for itself, its own little group, is the degree to which religion also operates within this larger good or not. Again, even religious people can resist this large will of goodness, which is God, and just operate in their own small sense of goodness for themselves, for their own little group, for their own little denomination, for their own little, you know, religion. And that's not good enough. It's never good enough if it's not good for everyone. So no matter how you view God or what you think about God or whether you believe in God, I don't think there is any way we can get to a good place in humanity as a whole without this largest view, this largest will of goodness, which is God. And so the degree to which we resist or surrender to that will is the degree to which it will come to be. And that's also part of the character of this large will, is that it is not a pushing or a taking will. It's not manipulating or controlling. And so God will not force his or her will upon the world. Do you see the difference between our will and God's? Right there. What are we doing? We're trying to force our will on the world. What is God doing? not going to force it, not going to push, not going to make us. Why? God respects our choice. God respects our ability. God wants a loving relationship, which is a mutual surrender. It's not forced. Do you see the difference? Why, isn't, why hasn't God made the world good? Why is the world so evil if God is so good? Because God doesn't force his or her way. Isn't that what good is? Someone who's not forcing you, but who's inviting you into what is good. We know the very nature of this evil. It is controlling. It's forcing. People pushing us to do what we don't want to do. That is evil. And yet that's what we are doing. When we push our way and we can't see how it affects the good of others, or we don't care, that is evil. <laughs> So the opposite would be a God who is never pushing or forcing us to do what we don't want. Even when it is good. Because by nature of being good, it does not force and control. 
I call this the divine rape. Like the idea that God should just control everything and make everything good and make people act good and just either eliminate or magically transform all the bad people to do what's right. Like I call that the divine rape. God forcing us to do what he or she wants. That's abusive. That's not love. That's an abusive relationship. That's a controlling relationship. That's basically rape. You are forcing someone to do something against their will. And in a love relationship, intimate relationship, that's what we call rape. Taking from someone, something they have not given. God does not do that. And so we see a world that is full of evil because the biggest good is truly good. Good enough to never control and force people to do something against their will. And yet that is what we are doing, whether we recognize it or not. Whether we admit that it is good or bad, we are always trying to force our way through the world. So the opposite of that is surrendering to a different way of living and being. We're no longer pushing for our way, control, trying to control everything for our benefit. That is the essence of the evil in the world. And the difference between you and someone else might be the difference between a citizen and a government or a dictator. The power that you have over the world, in the world, to control the world, like, depends on the evil, the amount of evil that you are able to accomplish as you push your own will. Your boss, who decides whether you are fired, decides whether you get that paris, has more control in this system. And so they have the ability to do more harm if they think it is about doing things for their own benefit. I mean, can't we truly say our experience in the world when we experience something good is because someone has, someone has done something for us that is good for us, not, not that it was good for them. Like doing what is good for others is the essence of what is good. That is not a pushing energy or a taking energy. It's a giving energy. And God is that ultimate giving energy in the world. And so the more we are like God, a giving energy, the more the world will become full of positive energy, not negative. The less resistance, the more the flow. The more the flow of love, the more the flow of giving. The more the flow less resistance and we can all kind of move through the world in this positive flow but it is defined it is established by God it's something we can step into it's not something we can create it's something we can step into or it's something we can resist resistance is the key the degree to which we allow for or resist this flow to the degree to which we will experience the goodness or the negativity of it. I started out talking about you know the awesomeness of this flow you know the largeness of it which is the largeness of God and and um, I meant to spend a lot more time on that, on that but Basically, it's just this idea that what we, we cannot be in control of it. We cannot siphon it down. We cannot numb ourselves to this flow. 
it is basically it is scary to surrender to God this large flow of love not because love is scary but because surrender is scary the idea that we are not in, in control anymore that someone else is moving us for our good it is very scary fear it is through fear that we take control and we try to navigate the world for our own benefit love as an opposing energy says I'm going to trust in the loving care of someone else you know human to human that can be difficult because people are inconsistent in their love but God is not inconsistent so when we step into the largeness of this flow we have to trust that God is good we have to trust that God is doing what is good for us and will and we can surrender the degree to which we are able to trust and the goodness of that flow of God of love is the degree to which we can surrender and you can believe God is good maybe a Christian you may you know a Hindu a Muslim you may believe God is good but how much are you surrendered to God that is the reality of your belief right there can you really surrender and let God guide and lead and accept things as they come whether they feel good or bad believing that they are producing what is good for you can you truly surrender can you let go and you give up control are you trying to control even in your religion even in your belief about God are you in control if you are then you're resisting it's God God cannot bring about the good that he or she wants for you if you're in control if you're trying to tell God what to do trying to get God to do what you want what's gonna happen what you want how do we get the good things that God wants if we don't surrender to God if we don't surrender to these good things if we don't trust enough to surrender the beauty though is when we do surrender then comes peace and rest that's that's why this is called the practice of stillness when we surrender and we let go we're no longer in contention and fighting for our good fighting against others for our good nor fighting against God or fighting with God you know not wrestling with God to do something good for us like how can I get God to do my own good and God's like uh, you don't you don't understand what good is <laughs> let me show you let go take my hand I will lead you to good things it reminds me of 23rd Psalm it's an Old Testament book of poetry uh, large largely written by King David it was a Jewish king I think around 3000 BC maybe but in that Psalm he writes the Lord God is my shepherd I shall never be in want he leads me beside he leads me to green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will not fear any evil the Lord is with me he comforts and guides me his rod and his staff I think it says comforts and guides me he prepares a table in the midst of my enemies surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever this is a person who has surrendered to the good will of God the Lord God is my shepherd well he's making David David tended animals as a young 
man, as a young child, he's using this metaphor of sheep and a shepherd. God is the one who is truly guiding me through life like a shepherd guides sheep. Sheep don't know where they're going. They, they know they need to eat. They know they need to drink. They don't know how to get there. And David's saying, the Lord, God, guides me to those good pastures, to pleasant streams, to the things that I need to live and to thrive. God restores my soul. And he says, even if I face the greatest fear in the world, what he calls the valley of the shadow of death, I, don't, I will never be afraid because I know I'm protected and held by someone so much greater. And I love how he ends that whole psalm. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does God have a house? <laughs> the universe is God's house. David's saying, I'm never going to die. I'm going to be held forever. I'm going to live forever. And not just anywhere, but in the house of God, which house can symbolize authority, protection, like father, a parent relationship here. God is our father. God is our mother. We are children, and we, as children, can surrender and live in this house, someone else's house, not our own house, not the house of our own will, but the house of God's will, trusting our divine father and mother have only what is best for us and know what is best and know where we need to go and know how to lead us to good pastures and clear streams, gentle, calm, things that restore us, things that heal us, even in the midst of opposition, what David calls a midst of his, it's setting the table in the midst of his enemies. What he's saying is, even in the worst places, God still sets a bountiful feast for me. <laughs> like there's good everywhere. Even facing death, even facing, quote, enemies, even opposition, even in hardship, there is a bountiful feast for me laid out by my father and mother and God. That's a life of someone who has surrendered to the will, to a higher will and a higher good, and who trusts and walks in that will, and who's found peace. That's what stillness is about. Surrendering to this energy, this giving energy, and then becoming that energy for others. Giving to others. Because we become like our parents, the people we hang out with, our mentors, our, pe our peers. We become like our divine parents the more we hang out with them. When we get into this flow of giving, selflessness, good, we become that good for others. We point the way back to the source of God, our source, our true source. Hmm. There was a lot more I wanted to say and talk about, but um, I think that was pretty good. And I'm going to have to wrap it up. My morning light is on i'm approaching the critical mass of a min of an hour so i hope that has been helpful i hope that it challenges you to think about how you are resisting reality or how you are moving with it and whether or not you can truly trust in the goodness of god in the midst of all these things it's i know it's not easy it's a journey it doesn't happen one day you decide you flip a switch and you're there it's a journey it's a thousand surrenders every day and it's a continual surrender but it does bring peace and it does bring stillness and it brings something better than we could ever imagine. 
a good far above what we could think or bring about a greater will when we surrender our smaller will. Thank you for listening. I love every one of you. I want what is good for every one of you, but not because I want it, but because I know God wants it for you. Because I've stepped into that will in greater ways, and you can too. How you approach reality makes a difference, whether you fight and contend with it or you learn to surrender, trusting that that reality truly is not innate and impersonal, but it is a personal loving God who has the best for you, always. Can you surrender to it? You have a lifetime to work it out, to move towards it or move away from it, to resist or accept I pray that you accept and learn to step into it. It does bring greater peace. Greater peace is what we're all looking for. I love you all. I hope the best for you. As always, you can find more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. This has been the Modern Contemplative. Be well and be at peace. Learn the ways of stillness. All right, bye.